we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Sometimes we don't know what we believe anymore because depending on the day somebody's posting something or someone's laying claim to something. And we are recently coming out of the modern era, modernity. Anyone know that word? A way of thinking that meant our success or our growth, specifically our spiritual growth, was contingent upon how much information could come into our heads. And the more information we could learn and the more knowledge we had, then the more we felt strong in our faith or we believed we knew what we believed or we believed we were closer to God. That shifted many years ago when we entered the postmodern era. And the postmodern era said, I need to experience what is true. And all of these different things can define truth, but unless I experience what is true, then it, it, it doesn't really hold weight. And those two were at odds for a long time, and now we're even in a time that's post, postmodern. And post-postmodern thinking, as far as I know, tends to say, if you want to be transformed, you have to immerse yourself into the thing that is going to transform you. And so what we learn from each of these things over time and seeing the good and the bad in all of them is that most of the church today is still trying to get comfortable with the modern era. Meaning we're still trying to learn and know as much as we can so that we can feel equipped to engage with a world that is changing like crazy. And all the while Jesus has called us to just go and be with the people who are hurting. And we are in Advent and it's faith is the concept today, but Advent leads us to this moment where Jesus says, I'm going to show you how 
I want you to grow in your spiritual life. I'm going to show you how I want to, you to impact the world, and I'm going to show you how I want everything to happen, and that word is Emmanuel. God comes and is with us. And so the new call for us who have spent most of our lives absorbing, 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 and knowing, and learning, and being challenged, and sitting at the feet of people is to say, are we going to take that and simply be hearers of the word, or are we going to somehow wrap ourselves around what God's Word is saying? And all of us know very well what it's saying. It's saying, go and be with and make disciples and bring people with you as you follow me. Pre-sermon, because we know what we believe here. And we're not constantly downloading more of what we believe because what we believe has been passed down to us from people who lived long ago. And that's one of the creeds that I just read to you, the Nicene Creed. And so when we step in as a church body, a chapel, a group of people who are following Jesus and wanting to do some type of a mission or a movement together, we don't question what we believe, we know what we believe. And there are a lot of things that we can disagree on in between those lines and on the outside of those paragraphs. But at the end of the day, we can hold to this. But when we come to this worship service, which is hard for us to wrap our mind around the, the idea and the reality that this worship service is not the center of what Edison Chapel is. If Edison Chapel was a wheel, this worship service would not be the center. This worship service is simply a spoke in the wheel. And so this worship service doesn't get to define who you are or who I am or even if we are a success at Edison Chapel. So with that, we do not engage in let me disseminate the best information to you now so that you can download it and walk away and say, I felt God. I was just watching Francis Chan talk about creating waves and how the church has become masters at creating waves where people come to an experience and it rises and right about 9.50 a.m. it you know, hits the climax and then it settles right as the time when you're supposed to pick your kids up from the nursery. And he said something that made me feel so humbled so convicted and so excited at the same time. He said, I want to be a part of a wave that only God can make. I don't want to be a part of creating experiences that people say, God was there, I want to be a part of a wave that only God can make. And so when you hear me or someone else talk at Edison Chapel worship service, the spoke, one of the spokes in the wheel of what Edison Chapel is, not the center, You'll hear some ideas, but you're not going to hear something that is magically going to make you grow in your faith and your spirituality. It's not even going to make you feel like that. All it's going to do is make you think. And then we will decide later, as a community of people, are we hearers of God's Word, or are we doers of God's Word? Are we embracing and living lifestyles of what Jesus might call 
good soil. I hope that makes some sense to you. If you disagree, please don't storm out because it's a small gym and everyone will see you. Just talk to me later. Wind. Wind through the Bible, something that matters. The first time wind is used in the Bible that I could find is Genesis 8.1. And it's this magical moment where Israel is again standing at the Red Sea, learning that God is a God who controls both chaos and water. And he's about to walk them through their baptism into freedom. And it's going to be scary, but they're going to do it. And Genesis 8.1 says, Sorry. Exodus 14.21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land, and the waters were divided. And Israel remembers that God is the God who will walk them into freedom with the message of wind. But I didn't know that I just lied to you, because the first time that wind is used in the Bible is Genesis 8.1, when Noah is on the ark, and the waters have flooded the earth, and in that way baptized all of the evil away, and Noah now doesn't know what to do, because all God told him to do was build a boat, and the boat floats, but it's not going to sustain life forever. And God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. And there's something profound to me about the invisible power that God was exercising over all of these, both of these chaotic messes. So much so that water that had just flooded the earth with a powerful wind was now receding so that Noah could start over and people could live on dry land. And the Egyptians are storming down on the Israelites and they're scared and they remember the God who parts waters from water when he created the world, but they remember it through a wind that's storming through, separating it so they can walk on dry ground. And they're seeing an invisible God. There was never a giant hand that came down and karate chopped the water and pushed it to the sides. They're seeing through the power of wind an invisible God that meets destruction in its most powerful place and brings peace and calm and dry ground even though you're in the middle of the most chaos. And so Israel learns this idea about an invisible God with a lot of power, and some of, the, some of the Psalms say things like, On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur, and a scorching wind will be their lot. Our God is powerful, and he's on my side, not yours. Or Psalm 35.5, May they be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. And when you learn that God can part these waters with this wind and cause it to settle and be on your side and this huge invisible power loves you, this huge invisible thing wants relationship with you, this giant 
invisible thing that's expressed himself through wind at the same time as the same God who spoke to Abraham and said, leave everything and come follow me. You just think, this guy's on my side, and so anybody who disagrees with me, let them be like chaff. Let them be like an angel of the Lord pushing them away. I think sometimes that's how we think of God today. Obviously it's wrong. That's not the point of this sermon. Enter Jesus several thousand years later, and he's with his disciples in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And in Luke 8, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up and rebuked the wind. And he rebuked the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. And he says, where is your faith? In fear and amazement, unable to actually answer Jesus' question, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds. He commands the invisible forces that saved us from Egypt. He commands the invisible forces that caused a flooded earth to recede and give Noah dry land to live on. Even the winds and the water obey Him. So Jesus engages in this concept and says to them, the invisible wind in John blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. I would even add you see its power, but you can't tell where it's coming from. And then he says, so is it with everyone born of the Spirit. And when I read that, I think, I, I, I think about the disciples hearing Jesus say that and going... The invisible God who has expressed himself in these ways is now telling me that if I'm born of the Spirit, that same level of freedom and power can be right here. And Jesus teaches them about the Spirit of God, and he shows them what it's like to go and eat at Zacchaeus' house and to be with Zacchaeus, and, and to watch this invisible force like transform and change someone's life without doing much. And they see it, and they realize, that baby's just saying amen. That baby gets it. And they realize that this is a possible thing, and so Jesus dies, he resurrects, they see that it was all true, and he says, go and wait. Because if you wait, I'm going to give you that spirit. I'm going to give you that same spirit that you know about, that you heard the stories about. You, saw, you heard about the water receding and the water parting and the violent winds and the powerful winds. And you've heard about God's breath and the pneuma of what that is. And go and wait. And they go and wait. And in Acts 2, we read that suddenly... The sound of a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house they were sitting. And they recognized that wind 
and they see that's the same wind that they've been told about, but this time they, they process it through Jesus' words that the Spirit of God is coming. And over 3,000 people come to the body of Christ that day. Now, here's the part you're going to disagree with for a moment, and then you're going to be like, okay, he's fine. We are now that thing that parts the seas. We are now that thing that calms the storm. We are now that thing that causes the chaos to dissolve. And I'm not saying you are Jesus. I'm saying His Spirit is inside of you. When we have that relationship, that wind and that Spirit comes inside, and when suddenly happens, when that suddenly happens to us, it fills the whole house. When it happened way back then, it filled the whole house. And when people enter into this relationship and this body, the whole container of that wind is available if we simply walk with Emmanuel. And so they're filled with the Spirit and they don't know what to do, but they remember, oh, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house and he went to this lady at the well. And he went to this guy. And pretty soon, they just, they just break up territory. You go be with them. You go be with them. You go be with them. In Edison Chapel, you go be with the Edison neighborhood. And watch the suddenly of Emmanuel begin to calm the storm. Now, faith is confidence in Hebrews 11, of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made, was made out of what is invisible. What was seen is not made out of what is visible. And so for me, the challenge is simple. I fix my eyes on Jesus and I don't fix my eyes on what is seen. I fix my eyes on what is unseen since what is seen and what you can witness around you is very, very temporary. Your job, your relationships, the things that are threatening to drown you and keep you underwater, it is all very temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. And what is unseen is what's inside of you. And God wants us to simply say, okay, tell me where to put my feet next. Because when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we become like the wind. My favorite shirt, my favorite t-shirt, belongs to my son Xander. And I gave it to him because when I was a little kid, I went to a conference called Jesus Northwest and I had to go to the kids' part of it because my parents were off listening to Petra and Whiteheart. And so I went and I heard a speaker and he wore glasses and he dressed like a detective and he led me to Jesus for the 45th time. 
and he had a t-shirt that I wore that said, the Holy Spirit, you can't see him, but he's always there. And Xander will wear that shirt to Edison Chapel and you will see it because we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit, you can't see him, but he's always there and he is the wind that caused the seas to settle and he is the wind that parted the waves and he is the thing that transforms the lives around us if we can only begin to see what is unseen. I was at Mill Street Market two weeks ago. We were handing out chili. My friend Keith was there. A woman came up to me who had run out of money because she had a little bit left and she had spent it all buying lottery tickets because she needed a little more and that didn't go so well. And we stood and we talked and then we prayed. Then we talked some more and then she cried and then we hugged and she cried more and then I got teary. And it was in that moment I realized, oh, maybe she's been selling her body to make ends meet. Maybe she doesn't know which way to turn. But she's not leaving this moment. She's not walking away from right now. And I don't want to go anywhere. Because what was unseen had taken over what was seen and we were no longer standing on the corner of Mill Street Market, we were standing in Narnia. No wardrobe required and she was a, a, a queen. And as we learn to be with and engage with what is unseen, only then do we understand the power of what suddenly is when a violent wind comes down and reveals to us what the Holy Spirit is up to in our lives, in our families, and in our neighborhood. So, Father, thank you for wind. Thank you that we can spend time together now. And thank you for being present with us, whether we are aware or not. In Jesus' name, amen.